Welcome to the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast. This podcast focuses on financial planning and investment topics. Our goal is to help you make better financial decisions. We are fierce advocates of fiduciary advice. What does fiduciary mean? It means that anyone who advises you should always put your needs first. We hope you get some value from this episode. Thanks for listening. Standard housekeeping, anything on the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast should not be considered individual financial planning or investment advice. For that, we recommend you consult your own properly registered and licensed professional. This is episode 23. I'm Brian Beasley. With me again is Dan Alberth. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. So we're continuing our conversation about risk. And specifically, this, this episode, we're going to chat about uh, risk tolerance. So how much risk, how much bumpiness can you stomach? And, you know, the biggest thing we've learned, Dan, in, in dealing with, with people is that words like aggressive and conservative and safe and dangerous can mean very, very different things to different people. We've had clients who said that the S&P 500 is, they consider it conservative. And we had other people who have said the S&P 500 is very, very aggressive and it's something that they don't ever want to invest in. Right. And they're all, you're, you're taking a look at this one in index, the S&P 500, for example. Somebody's calling it aggressive. Somebody's calling it conservative. What do those words mean? What does aggressive mean to that person? What does conservative mean? It gets very difficult to have a conversation about risk tolerance when you're being very, very subjective and people don't have the same, are not using the same definition for the words that they're talking about. So how do you make sense of that? Well, ideally you'd want to come down to a number and turn words into numbers because the numbers don't lie. Um, you know, if you're if you're looking at, well, for example, if the way the way the investment world would define aggressive is generally that's going to be something that is a, a portfolio that is 100% in stocks. Now, yes, you could be 100% in certain areas of stocks that are less bumpy than other areas of stocks. So there's still a range within that world. So you're still aggressive overall, but you could be you know, um, a, there's a range. It's not a on off switch where you're full on risk and full off. There's, there's a, there's a range, but like if you're driving a car, you could be going, you could be on an expressway speeds where you're driving 65 to 110 miles an hour. But generally those speeds are maybe not appropriate for your residential neighborhood. And even within your residential neighborhood, there's cars that are backing out of driveways at one mile per hour, and there's cars driving down the street at 30 miles per hour. There's still a range there, but zero to 30 is still more conservative, if you will, less of a bumpy ride, perhaps, than 65 to 110. And so there's ranges here. But generally speaking, aggressive is all stocks. Generally speaking, more conservative is less in stocks, down to zero stocks if your money's all in cash that would be deemed by most softwares 
that do financial planning, most software that does investment analysis or risk analysis, they're going to consider that more conservative. But if you're all in the S&P 500, they're still going to consider that on the aggressive side of things because it's all stocks. If you have all your money in one stock that hasn't made money in a decade, that's a whole nother level of, of aggressive. But back to what's what you can tolerate. So we're just trying to get that out of the way so we're talking in the same terms. But words matter, and you ideally want to get things down to a number. And you want to find out, you know, how much can I tolerate numerically? And what advisors use is they'll typically use software. They'll use some sort of um, well-researched questionnaires that are based on uh real science to figure out specifically what number makes sense for you. And some softwares will go about it in a way where they're trying to have more of a conversation about your feelings. And other softwares are going to be using a combination of your preferences and feelings, but they're going to be more numerically based. Both can be effective. But the thing to realize is that when you're talking about how much risk can you tolerate, one of the easiest ways is to just say, hey, with the strategy you're using right now for your investments, what's the biggest decline you could take and still keep using the same strategy with no changes to the strategy? That's called your maximum drawdown. So where would that be? And the things anecdotally ask that question to some people and they'll say, yeah. I wouldn't feel like I have to do anything until it's down like 10%. And I say, great, how much money do you have? Um, like, what's your portfolio look like? They say, well, it's all in these five or 10 stocks. And my eyes get real big because you and I both know a 10% decline is a very, very common occurrence. You know, even if you own the, the broad stock market index, you could see a 10% correction almost annually. I mean, it's a common thing. It's like weather. I mean, it's going to happen. And if your limit is 10% and you have all your money in something that does that every single year, my goodness, what are you going to be doing with your portfolio? Are you going to be rethinking things every single year? That could be very, very dangerous because you and I both know also when corrections happen and the rubber band goes down, sometimes it snaps back the other way and, and corrects itself. We saw that in 2020 with the COVID decline. Things the markets dropped, and then it came right back within a matter of weeks. You need to know what your maximum drawdown is, but you also need to know, like, is that even a, is that a common thing? And is your portfolio aligned with that? Here's another thing you need to think about. Like, how long, we talked about this in the last episode, this emotional behavioral risk. How long can you lag your friends? So how long can you, can you tolerate going to a party, going to a soccer game, talking to your friends and neighbors and relatives and listening to someone tell you about their performance being better than the one you're seeing in your portfolio. What's your tolerance for that? How long can you stomach that? And I forgot to mention in the last episode, but the greatest defense against that peer pressure thing is knowing more than that other person about how the world works and how the investment world works. Your own knowledge, your own understanding of your process and how your process aligns with the probabilities of success down the road. If you know that you have a good process in place, you can probably tolerate lagging your friends for a while because you believe it. 
and, and it's, it's actually a common thing, even amongst some of the greatest investors ever. The greatest mutual fund managers ever, the greatest investors of all time. You look at people like Warren Buffett or John Templeton or, you know, pick a name. Anybody that's done really, really well over a really, really long period of time, they've all had periods where they've lagged their benchmark for up to three years. Imagine going three long years where you look like a fool relative to your peer group. And yet these people stick with their system. They stick with their process. And you know what? They win in the end in what they're doing. So can you, you need to think about your tolerance for that. And the defense against that is just know more, understand your process better. And if you have a good process, the odds are going to be in your favor over time. Another little bullet on, on your tolerance for risk. And we talked about this last episode. I'm just going to say it again because it's so critically important. More than likely, you care more about a decline than you care about a gain. Meaning, if you experience a decline of 30%, you're going to be way, way more emotionally involved in that than an increase of 30%. So you got $10,000, it grows to $13,000. You're like, ah, cool. You have $10,000 you put in and now it's worth $7,000. You're going, what in the wild world of sports am I going to do now? This is horrible. You're going to be more emotionally involved in that decision. So... When engineering your portfolio, you ought to be putting some some level of attention into that downside risk. There's also a mathematical reason for that. If you have $100 and you lose 50%, we've got $50 left. What's that $50 have to do to get back to 100? It's got to double. It's got to double. So you're down 50%. Now you have to be up 100% to get back to where you started. Now, let's say you only dropped 10%. From, you had your $100. It went down 10%, so you lost $10. Now you have $90 left. Well, how much does that 90 have to go up to get back to 100? It has to go up about 11%. 11% of 90 is around 10. You get your 10 bucks back, and you're, you're back around 100 bucks. So it's less of a differential if you're managing that, that risk that way and understanding how that volatility can play into your hands and, and it, it is an important component. So again, understanding these things can change how your tolerance works as well. But generally speaking, you want to be, when you're talking about your tolerance for risk, this is something that the experts say doesn't really change that much over time. It's unique to every person. Some people out there are, they have iron will. They, they, you know, the, the, the kids on the internet, they'll call it diamond hands. I'll hold this forever. I can ride this through anything. I've got diamond hands. They're very hard. I'm never going to let go. And that's a high risk tolerance. Good for them. That's outstanding. There's other people where they say, I can't even look at my statement and see it be lower than last month. And those are two very, very wide extremes. And there's room enough in the world and room enough in the investment you can engineer a portfolio to be anywhere in between those two extremes. So the cool thing is just it can you can find something that matches you. You mentioned something in the last episode, Dan, about making sure your your actual returns and actual behavior of your portfolio matches your expectations. Well, guess what? Once you know your actual risk tolerance and how much bumpiness you can take, 
a portfolio can be blended and designed to exactly match that so that you're always seeing your investments behave in line with your expectations. Now, provided your expectations are realistic. So it shouldn't change that often, though. We've had, we've had clients where they'll do a risk tolerance questionnaire to find out what their risk budget is, I guess, if you will. If they take that test or that questionnaire right in the middle of an extreme market move, like let's say last year was just an amazing year in the stock market, they may have a higher risk score at the end of that because they're looking at returns going, man, I kind of want me some of that risk because that risk seems to be rewarding everybody right now. But if you have that same person take the exam on February of 2009, right near the bottom of the market in one of the worst economic periods in history, they're going to be way, way lower. At least some people will. So what we're when we're talking about risk tolerance, we're trying to find what's something you can live with over time through thick and thin. No matter what, you're going to kind of stay in that same strategy. If you're changing your strategy every year based on what the market just did, odds are you're probably buying high and selling low if you're like a lot of people we bump into. So you want your risk tolerance to be something that you just kind of set it and forget it. Maybe you make a change. If there's a life event, you've retired now or your job situation changed, your career changed, your health has changed. These are all things that might radically affect your tolerance for volatility. But you shouldn't be changing your risk tolerance every three months. That would not make sense. You shouldn't be reacting to the market to change your risk tolerance. And how do you find out what your risk tolerance is? There's free questionnaires all over the internet. You can Google find my risk tolerance and there's going to be some free tool from you know, every mutual fund family has this. Every brokerage firm has some sort of a questionnaire you can find out. Heck, take them all and see where the averages lie. Um, if you're working with uh, a lot of advisors, if you have a personal financial advisor, many of them use uh, a specific software that's maybe designed to be a little more precise in both identifying what your tolerance is and then helping the advisor engineer a blend that also matches that very, very closely. So like, you know, there's, there's popular ones out there. We use one and we'll put a link to ours in the, in the uh, notes for this episode. So you can go and, and, and click on there. We won't spam you. We won't bother you, but uh, you will get a score and we'll give you some feedback on what that might mean for you, but know your risk tolerance and then make sure your portfolio matches that risk tolerance. Once again, thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Please subscribe. Please like. Please comment. Please find us on social media. We are at Fierce Fiduciary. You can also Google Fierce Fiduciary Podcast and find us anywhere. Dan, you're at from Facebook. I'm on Facebook. At Dan Alberth. Dan.Alberth. And I am at Brian C. Beasley on most platforms. We also participate in some Facebook groups. If you're looking to have a deeper conversation there about various things, there's a group called Investing for Beginners. And then Dan and I host a group called Investing and Financial Planning that provides some educational and learning material. So once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.